you take your seats, I invite you to turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word. Back to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We are going to once again look at Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, because y'all didn't get it last week. I'm totally joking. I was very, very encouraged by many of the responses uh, that I got last week because I very purposely wanted to make sure that we set this text into its proper perspective of what it means for everyone in Christ to live a voluntary submission to one another in Christ before we look at what that looks like in the home specifically. I'm going to do what I did last week, and I'm going to read um, not just our text for the day, but I'm going to back up, uh, and I'm going to read from Ephesians 1, uh, from a passage there, and then we'll, then we'll move over to chapter 5. Here in Ephesians 1, Paul has been um, laying out and unfolding the extravagant grace of God in Christ and what it means for us to have been called to be partakers in the life of Christ, that we are now, through our union with Christ, we are participants in the life, love, and mission of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so he is praying for the church here, picking up in verse 18, that Paul prays that we would have eyes, the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we may know what is the hope to which God has called us, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe working uh, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under Christ's feet and gave Christ as head over all things to the church, to the church, which is his body, the church, which is the fullness of him who fills all in all. Going down to chapter 5, picking up in verse 21, or picking up uh, one phrase uh, from, uh, from verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, going down to verse 21. Be filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. 
Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you have already overwhelmed us this morning with just how amazing your love for us is in Jesus Christ. How immense and eternal. How vast and, and how and how it just it goes so far beyond what we can even think or what we could even imagine. And that love has been made concrete to us in the life of and ministry of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, continue to overwhelm us this morning with the truth, with the goodness, and with the beauty of what it means for the church to be in Jesus Christ and what that looks like in the way the church functions and how our homes function as well. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. After the service last week, I had a really interesting conversation. Someone uh, here at the church is um, having uh, some family issues with extended family and had been experiencing a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure uh, that was coming from older brothers. A lot of pressure that, that this person was, was not honoring father and mother. And, and that the brothers were really pressing hard on this. And the reality is, they were pressing because they were gaslighting. But I was asked, how does a passage like this Ephesians 5, what does that look like for me right now? And what you see here in the text very clearly is that when it comes to wives here, that there is a unique connection to their own husband just as there is a unique connection 
between the church and Jesus Christ. This passage is one of those passages that is fraught with all kinds of dangerous words and all kinds of phrases that not only can but have been taken out of context in so many different ways. They have been taken out of context not only by those who want to push a feminist agenda or an egalitarian approach to things, but also by those who are pushing a patriarchal perspective of things when it comes to the scripture. And this is something that has been done not only with the way headship is understood in the, in the home, but even how it's understood in the church. And so last week, I, I, I tried to help put this into its bigger context so that we avoid those errors and those mistakes. And like the Apostle Paul here, we encourage one another not to live according to the cultural standards of our day, but that we really allow this, this, uh, this mystery of this eternal, cosmic, unearned, undeserved love between Christ and a sinful bride and allow that to be the the prism through which we are looking at concepts like headship and submission in the church and in the home. Now, from Ephesians 1, I I reminded you from what what we learned so many months ago when we were back in chapter 1 that there is this amazing description of who the church is in relationship to Christ at the end of chapter 1. Jesus is put there in a way that makes sense to us. Jesus is the one who fills all in all, meaning there is nothing in Jesus that he lacks. He is absolutely complete and independent within himself because he is God. He doesn't need anything. He is everything. He is everything. He fills the all in all. And yet, in the uniqueness of the relationship that the church has to the one who fills all in all, Jesus describes the church as the one who fills him. Let that hit you. You should be slightly confused, unless you remember last week. This is a hard, a hard thing to wrap our minds and our hearts around. Jesus, who doesn't need anything, Calvin tells us, considers himself incomplete without his bride. This is who the church is to Jesus Christ. Not because we've earned it, and certainly not because we deserve it. It is solely on the basis of his eternal love that he determined to set upon us and to take us to himself and to clean us to forgive us, and to dress us 
in the most beautiful wedding gown that a bride could ever wear. And that is the righteousness of the eternal God who has been made flesh. This is who the church is. And when it comes to headship, whether that headship is being practiced over the church or whether that headship is being practiced in the home, it is a headship that is to be a continuation of the headship of Jesus Christ. A headship that he has worked out in humility, in mercy, giving himself for his bride, giving himself to his bride. There is a gentleness when it comes to the headship of Jesus Christ. He he sees his bride as unique. She is special. And he treats her that way. Even to the degree that, that Jesus takes his bride and makes her a co-heir of his eternal inheritance. Where Jesus says, what is mine is now yours. The headship in the church, the headship in the home is, a, is to be an embodiment of that reality. And so here in Ephesians 5, I noted last week, and I had some people ask me about this, why I kept referring to submission here as voluntarily placing yourself under. And that is because, one, that's what the word means. So we're going to stick to its definition. But more importantly, as I try to lay out for you, we see this submission in Jesus Christ. Philippians 2 is very clear that Jesus didn't hold on to what he was owed because he is God. He voluntarily set it to the side for a time, and he came as a servant, serving to the point of death. And the Apostle Paul there says, because of this, and because you're in Christ, then what you are supposed to do in the fellowship of the church is you are to consider others better than yourselves, because that's what Christ did. Jesus considered his sinful bride to be more important than himself, so he came and he suffered and he died in order that he could take her to himself and hold her for all eternity. And the way that's to work out in the fellowship of the church is that we are to consider others better than ourselves as we live out the mind of Christ. Here in Ephesians, the way Paul says that is in verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence of Christ. Jesus considered his church better than himself, so he came, suffered, and died for her. Jesus also in carrying out the plan of redemption that the Trinity had worked out together, Jesus voluntarily came to earth, took flesh upon himself, and carried out his Father's will. 
That Jesus voluntarily, even though Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity, was, was the same in substance, equal in power and glory with the Father, yet he chose to submit himself voluntarily to the Father's will as he came and carried out the plan of redemption. This humility of Christ expressed towards his Father and expressed towards his church. When Paul tells us that we are to be filled with the Spirit by submitting ourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ, literally, it says that we do this, submitting to one another, in the reverence of Christ. Now, the ESV translators chose to take that out of reverence for him, but literally it says in the reverence of him, that Jesus himself showed reverence. So, what's interesting here, though, is that Jesus himself was not forced into anything that he did. In John 10, he tells us very clearly, I I am doing my Father's will, but not because anyone's making me, I I lay down my life and I take it up again. He voluntarily was carrying out his father's will. He voluntarily set himself um, um, as one who considered his bride to be more important than himself, so he came and died for it. You see what's happening here? He didn't owe anything with this. He chose it. This word here, submitting to one another in the reverence of Christ, notice that submitting here in verse 21 is is being spoken to the congregation. That as he has been laying out, how do you put off the old man and how do you put on the new man as he has worked through chapter 4 and chapter 5 and as he has said, be imitators of God by living out of the self-sacrificial love of Jesus Christ and walk uh, as those who, who are in the light, exposing darkness, not participating in darkness. And as he has said that we are to walk in the Spirit, He lays out what that looks like. And and living in submission to one another in the church is one of the ways that we tap into living in the Holy Spirit. There is not one person in this room who is more important or who is more valuable, either by way of essence or office, than anyone else in this room. Every single one of you, including me, are defined by who we are in Christ. And though we may have different roles in the church, and though we may have different roles in the home, make no mistake, the difference in role is not about being more important or more valuable. It is about having a different role. And that role is to be carried out in the humility of Jesus Christ. And so what this means is whether you are exercising headship or whether you are exercising followership in the church or in the home, everyone is submitting to everyone. Everyone is voluntarily exercising the mind of Christ and considering each other to be better than ourselves. Is this clear? 
Just want to make sure. Because so often when, for some reason, when people move from 21 to 22, all of a sudden their understanding and application starts going haywire. Now here's what's really cool. Who picked up on it? What word did I not read when I read verse 22? Yeah, you know why? Because it's not there. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not there. What it means is, literally in the text, when he moves from, and by the way, in verse 21, who in your Bible is 21 connected with 22? Anybody? No, most of you, it's, it's disconnected, right? Where 21 ends a paragraph and 22 starts a new paragraph. What's interesting is that's, a, that's an editorial choice by the translators. There are other older editorial choices by the United Bible Society uh, and by the Nestle Allen. These are two different critical editions of the Greek New Testament where both of those different versions have connected 21 to 22, and they do not disconnect them. And they've done that because grammatically you can't have verse 22 without 21. The word submit in verse 22 is a continuation of the general submission that was said in 21. All right. I don't often go into the details like this, but this is, a, this is one where I think it's important. What Paul is doing here is saying there is a general submission that happens where everybody, regardless of your age, regardless of your gender, regardless of your office, everyone is to consider everyone else more important and to therefore love and serve as one who has been loved and served by Christ. That's a general way that the body of Christ is supposed to function. And then what he says is he moves from that general idea to a very specific application in the home. So it says literally uh, submitting one to another. Everyone submitting to everyone in the reverence of Christ, wives to their own husbands. So you see what's happening here? This verse 22 is a continuation of 21, where there is this general voluntary submission, and then there is a very specific way that that happens here in 22, and that is because what Paul now goes to unfold is this glorious, mysterious, cosmic purpose of God to take a sinful people to himself and make her holy in order to dwell with that people for the rest of eternity as one who considers himself incomplete without her, that that big cosmic purpose of what God is doing in Christ, that gets played out in the home in the way husbands and wives relate to one another. Now, one of the things that means is this. Christian marriage is about the gospel. And Christian marriage is about the mission of the gospel. 
that Christian marriage gets to play this unique role once again in which the cosmic purposes of God in Christ, taking a bride to himself, that gets communicated to the world when husbands and wives love one another in Christ. That's what your marriage is. That's what my marriage is. It is a way to express the eternal purposes of the triune God. It's a way to put God's desires on display for a world that is languishing in self-centered, selfish conflict because everyone is trying to build their own kingdom. And where everyone, including you and me who are in the church, where we still wrestle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the result of that is that our fellowship is often marked by conflict. Our marriages are an opportunity not to put the perfection of Jesus Christ on display. Our marriages are an opportunity to make forgiveness concrete for those who need it and do not understand it. You see, the grace of God in Christ is played out in the marriage in such a way that when each other are attempting to fulfill the unique role that you have in the cosmic unfolding of the drama of redemption, you are not going to get it right. And so the gospel that you are putting on display is the gospel that becomes the power in which you participate in the drama. As you in marriage consider each other more important than yourself, then that is where the love, that is where the service, that is where the humility, that's where the meekness, that's where the counting one another as more important than yourself becomes real. It becomes tangible. It becomes concrete. It becomes something that can be seen. And when others get to see that, you have participated in the proclamation of this mysterious, eternal, cosmic love between a a perfect God and an imperfect bride, a faithful God and an, an adulterous bride. Is that how you are approaching your fellowship in the church? Is that how you're approaching your fellowship in the home? Is that how you are working out who you are as a husband, who you are as a wife, who you are as a son, as a daughter, as a grandmother, as a grandfather? Are you working that out as someone who may want to be married but is not yet married? Are you working that out as someone who is not married and you don't want to be married? Because one of the things, notice here, Paul doesn't say everyone's got to get married. 
No, what he says is everyone is going to participate in the life of Christ by being filled with the Spirit, by submitting to one another. Everyone gets to participate in that, whether or not you're married. But if you do get married, what Paul is saying is, if you get married, here is what you are supposed to purposely try to accomplish with your marriage. You won't do it perfectly, by the way. And so in meekness and in humility, in gentleness, try to love one another as you have been loved in Christ, submitting to one another in a way that reflects the way Christ submitted to his Father, the way Christ submitted to his church. If you're an officer in the church, this is what it looks like to fulfill your office. Jesus is very clear that whether headship is being practiced in the church or whether it's being practiced in the home, you are not to lord authority over others the way the nations do. If that's your view of headship, then you have completely missed who Jesus is. If that's your view of headship in the church, you have completely missed who Jesus is and what Jesus does and how he does it. And if you think that's what it means to be a husband, then you have completely missed who Jesus is, what he has done, and how he has done it. Now we're going to end here today really thought I could do it in two. But is this clear? I do not want to move forward with specifics unless we have the big picture. Because one of the things that has happened in Western culture through the years is that abuse has often been carried out in the church and in the home in the name of Jesus. There has been abuse that has been carried out in the church and in the home done under the the guise of, well, I'm the head, and she is supposed to submit. Those two statements are true, but they don't mean what they think that means. Headship is about humility, sacrifice, and considering others more important. Headship is about taking the power and authority that you do have and using it for the benefit of another and not for yourself. And submission is voluntary so that whether that submission is in followership in the church or that submission is in followership in the home, It is an expression of living under the authority of Christ. Which means, by the way, there are limits to the authority of officers and there are limits to the authority of husbands. Lord willing, we'll get to that next Lord's Day. But when Paul is unfolding this headship in the church and in the home, make no mistake, 
he, he says very clearly, this mystery is profound. It is profound. And so contemplate the mystery. Contemplate what it means for the eternal God to take a wicked people to himself and love her and clothe her and celebrate her and consider himself incomplete without her as you strive to love one another in fellowship and to love one another in your homes. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, without the filling of your Holy Spirit, none of this is a possibility for us. Without the filling of your Holy Spirit and the empowerment to to see and savor Christ and, and to cultivate our identities in Him, our participation in Him, unless we do that, we cannot carry out fellowship in the church without it becoming self-centered, conflict-ridden fellowship that is marked by divisions and factions, that is marked by the, the uh, use of, of power and ploys in order to get uh, one's own kingdom agenda accomplished. And oh, forgive us for the ways that we love to consider our, the, uh, the building of our own kingdoms the building of yours. Your kingdom is being built through the humility of a self-sacrificial son. And so help us not to be afraid to take up our cross to follow Jesus. Especially when it comes to fellowship in your church, in your house, and fellowship in our houses. May the gospel of Jesus Christ so thoroughly bathe us in its glory and its grace that we would carry out our roles as followers, as husbands, as wives, as children in the conscious participation of the cosmic purposes of a triune God who is constraining everything towards the new heavens and towards the new earth through something that looks like death, through something that is humble, through something that appears to be weakness, when these are the means by which you express your power and your glory. Oh Lord, help us to trust these things as we seek to follow you as those who have been made partakers of the divine nature by, by our union with Christ. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.